Hi guys, I'm Jess. And I'm Heidi. And welcome to Betty Squared. Hooray! <laughs> Today we are looking at chapter 18, uh, When a Stranger Calls. And I knew straight away when I saw that title that this is uh, the name of a film. It's a very terrible film, but it's a film <laughs> nonetheless. <laughs> In my research, I actually found out um, that the the terrible version of the film that I'm talking about was actually a remake. It came out in 2006, but the original film that it was based on came out in 1979. So I think I might do a rewatch of the 1979 version and uh, see if my opinion of the film in general changes, because like I said, the one in 2006, I don't remember it being very memorable. Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen it well basically the synopsis is nice and short and sweet uh basically it says during a babysitting gig a high school student is harassed by an increasingly threatening prank caller so they're obviously oh. trying to connect it with the calls that betty receives this episode from the black hood but it is a different situation betty's not babysitting no she's in her own home and her own father's calling her so it's a little different which we don't know yet. No. <laughs> we we technically don't. We, but I knew. But, you know, whatever. <laughs> oh, goodness. Well, my first note on this episode, and, you know, even like we mentioned um, in our last episode of Betty Squared, you know, it, it's hard doing a rewatch when so much has happened. Um, but one thing I noticed straight away was that I really missed the Betty Archie friendship. Yeah, I felt that way too. It was nice. We just don't see like any of that very much at all. And it seems like, for whatever reason, the writers don't know how to deal with those two people together unless there's rom weird romantic feelings that are unreciprocated on one side or the other, or they're in kind of like dire straits. Right. But... It worked this episode. Like, I I mean, get, yes, they are in dire straits, especially where Betty's concerned, but it was just really nice to see the two of them back together, him walking her to school, it being just a totally platonic relationship, and Archie just being that best friend to her again. I just really, really liked it. Yeah. I, no, I agree. And uh, the what I said before about like them either being dire straits or romantically interested in one another um, isn't a knock on this episode at all. I, I like them in this episode. And I think this proves that they can be friends and that that friendship is interesting and nice to watch. And now that I think about it, we really don't see Jughead and Veronica being friends very much. I don't know if writers for TV, for the most part, understand that men and women who are attracted to Op the opposite sex or both can be friends. I don't think that they understand that. Right. Which is unfortunate. It is. I mean, I don't know. Have you ever been in a relationship with a guy where it's totally platonic? Yeah. You've never had feelings for that person or vice versa? I mean, yeah. So then, okay, so my point is it, it's tricky it is tricky to have a platonic relationship with somebody of the opposite sex. I don't think that's true. I think that's a myth that media and entertainment want to sell us 
to keep us from being friends with one another. It's, it's, maybe this is me being very feministy, but it feels like a way to keep men and women apart so that they don't understand one another. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, fair enough, I suppose. I'm just talking from personal experience. Um, it has been very hard for me to have platonic relationships with men in the past. Uh, I've always been friends with guys, which is unusual, but at one point or another, and very fleeting, you know, not like weeks and years and months and all of that of like these emotional feelings, but at one point or another, either they've felt something for me or I've felt something from them. And nine times out of 10, that can all get brushed under the rug and it's all fine and we're still friends to this day. But I don't know. I found, yeah, in my experience, kind of it hard. I mean, yeah, and I can't, you know, your experience is your experience and there's no knocking that, obviously. But I, I have a very close friend that I still have that right, like to this day who um, is in my D&D group and he... um has been my friend since high school. I've known him for over 10 years. And even though like, maybe it's different because I knew him when he was like a little freshman and I was a junior. So there's that like difference in age gap that feels so big when you're that young. But wow. even as he got older and he's a very attractive man now, um, there's never been anything like that. And maybe it's different for me because I'm ace, but I still think that, I, I still think that, friendships like between a man and a woman who are heterosexual or whatever are fine because also there are totally like people who are gay or lesbian or whatever who are also friends with each other but would never date each other look at the people who we worked with at the theater so yeah. many of those people's are are so many of those gay men that i can think of are friends and would never date each other yeah it's it's an interesting thing to look at, isn't it? Yeah. And I think it's, I think there's just so much more room for interesting relationships that are outside of romantic ones. Yeah, I agree. Totally. So it's nice to see uh, Betty and Archie like this. And it on the other end of it, we know that there, there is a kiss that comes from this and they, they do force, <laughs> not force because I get it, but like they do put some romantic things in there as well that we'll see to come. But um, I wish, I just wish they would put more stock in these relationships that aren't just romantic. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think it's more, um, I, well, I mean the whole Betty and Archie thing, I think that that is tribute to the comics where Archie literally goes from dating Betty to dating Veronica, to dating Betty, to dating Veronica. You know, I think that's what that is. I don't think that that is them trying to force anything. I understand your point, but I just think that it's 2019 and they can't have a relation. That kind of, like, three-way relationship, you know, the back and forth, back and forth, where the guy just keeps flipping back and forth between these two women that doesn't work in 2019 anymore Correct. you can't do that so they got to figure out a way to not do that and I don't think even to this day three seasons in that they've successfully figured that out ah uh, see that's interesting because I feel like 
they did the little thing where, you know, Betty and Archie finally kiss and then it goes away and everything is fine and there's been no suggestion of it since. I know, but that doesn't mean that that figures it out. Like what you're saying, you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, it's so complicated. Yeah. With like three Ys and four Fs. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, goodness. Well, what's your first note for the episode? My first note. We got so into the conversation, I put my phone down, which has all my notes on it. (laughs) Um, I said, (laughs) I said, hello, Betty, do you want to play a little game? (laughs) It was like that, wasn't it? It's, that's basically what it is. But I just, as soon as he said, hello, Betty, I was like, do you want to play a little game? That's hysterical. Yeah, it was very horror movie-esque. And um, a lot of the times, you know, like we've said, we know it's hell. We have been going back and forth and back and forth. Well, I have been rather uh, with comparing, you know, does hell give anything up during any of these episodes? And it's so funny because even at one point he's like, blah, 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 your sister, your mother, your father. And I'm like, dude, stop talking about yourself in the third person. (laughs) That's weird. It's so weird. Um, I forgot where I was going with this. But anyway. Well, just talking about how, like, watching Hal and seeing, like, what he gives away, if he does give away anything, um, I still haven't found any proof that he does give anything away. Like, in the scene where... Betty is like confronting her mom and being like, well, you know, you suck and I don't, you deserve that, that article and blah, 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 trying to like cut her off or whatever. Um, The way the Black Hood told her to, her dad is there and he's like, that's enough. And it's, he doesn't really give anything away on that one. No, I'm going to keep watching him though. Yeah. I'm convinced. I am convinced uh, there's, there, there's something up, you know? Yeah, and I, I wonder too if in like terms of behind the scenes sort of thing, when that actor whose name you know and I never remember. Lachlan Monroe. Lachlan Monroe. Um, I wonder if he even knew, you know, that he was the Black Hood. I could easily believe that he had no idea and was playing Hal genuinely in these moments. Yeah, I think feel the same way um I think the creative types knew that he was going to turn out to be the black hood but I think they waited until the last minute to let him know that yeah because it does it does affect a an actor's performance if some actors are not so great at not playing the long run you know or the long the long story some of them give it away because they know so yeah I think for sure he he didn't know until he needed to yeah and I also don't think because if because the opposite end of that is like Alan Rickman knew for forever Snape's backstory, like he knew from the beginning what was up with Snape and what his true intentions were in all of his backstory that we don't find out until the very end. So yeah. when you go back and watch, you can see all of the nuances in his performance because that's what J.K. Rowling wanted to see she wanted there to be more to Snape and for him to always be a big question mark and he still is to this day with everything said and done some people love him I hate him um but 
you know, life goes on. Um, but I don't think that that's what the Black Hood is. And I don't think that's what Hal is. He's not this nuanced, unfortunately, not this nuanced guy. It kind of seems like there's a break in his personality, more like. So it behooves them to just not tell him. And yeah. then if he doesn't know, he doesn't act like he knows or he doesn't do anything. It's a bummer for Lachlan because maybe it would have been really interesting to see how he played it, but yeah. went Well, guess we'll never really know for sure. No, not unless we get an uh, inside look or people start asking better questions at panels. <laughs> you know what? If you and I end up at a Comic-Con or whatever and he happens to be uh, one of the guests, we need to be like, hey, did, what, at what point did you know you were going to be the Black Hood? Yeah. And I mean, to be fair, I've never watched him in an interview. So maybe he did not. Maybe he has talked about it, but I, I have not seen. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure either. Yeah. What about you? What's your next note? <laughs> You're going to laugh because it's really like, it's such a filler note, but I was like, I really am enjoying this. Um, Betty's ringtone is everything. Yes. I have a note about it too. Yes. It's yes. so perfect for her. It's so sweet. It's so menacing because we know who's on the other line and, you know, has she set that ringtone just for unknown calls? Or is that the ringtone that everybody gets? You know what I mean? Because anytime her phone rings, she kind of looks at it as if it, she knows it's the Black Hood even before she looks. And I'm wondering if this is the ringtone that she has assigned to unknown callers. I don't know. Yeah, I even from, I remember from when I first watched this season and this episode um and the episodes with this ringtone I always kind of figured I don't know why or how I even thought this might be possible it's not in real life but you know it's tv um that he controlled that ringtone I don't know why I thought that but I I've always put it to that's the Black Hood's ringtone and no one else's um so yeah maybe she said it that way it definitely doesn't make sense that I thought that like he did but yeah, that's what her dad did, which is creepy because he could because they live in the same house. But oh God, he could have gone in and like set her phone, and then she's like, "Wait, <laughs> how does it always ring like this when when uh, the black hood calls?" Oh my yeah. gosh, crisscross. <laughs> I feel like there would have been some sort of reaction then if she hadn't set that. But but it is a fun thought. It is indeed. But yeah, I I interpreted it it as she has set that ringtone for any unknown callers because the phone rings and she immediately looks frightened and yes okay sure she's immediately frightened because the black hood is calling but there seems to be a knowing that it's him versus you know one of her friends yeah I agree it's it's not a ringtone for anyone else who she cares about and it's also not a ringtone that we've heard before this is only a ringtone that is correlated to the black hood totally like i don't think we hear it again if it's not him and like afterwards either yeah fun fact it was the uh background song for when i was doing the riverdale review but unfortunately life got in the way of that so i'm no longer doing that but yeah that was the uh background music i used for each episode so creepy and cute at the same time. I know. I'm adorable, but that's all. 
Yep. Yep. And that's the end of the podcast. Bye, everybody. Bye. <laughs> Enjoy. See you next week. <laughs> um, what did you think of Jughead and Tollboy yelling at each other during that initiation when they were yelling the rules back and forth? It's it it's very like drill sergeant e of them to do. So uh, all I kept thinking was when you're that close, so much spit. Oh my god, so much! There <laughs> must have been spit everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Like Nasty. my note is literally when Jughead and Tallboy are yelling at each other. I just keep thinking, how much spit is landing in each other's faces? Yeah, that's nasty. Isn't it? I know. So gross. So gross. (laughs) But worth mentioning. Yes. No, it it is an awkward situation to be in. Very much. I did think it was funny, like we were talking about earlier with the Archie and Betty walking to school together. She's like, I wanted you to walk, I wanted to tell you and you to, like, us to just be walking to school because that, that looks normal. Like, no one would think that that's weird, you know, us just walking to school together as I look anxiously over my shoulder a million times and then you yeah. start doing it too, so we look super weird. <laughs> I did think it was a little uh, expositional, but I, I mean, what can you do in that situation? She's anxious, she's nervous, and yeah yeah no no judgment for her at all it was just so maybe it's because I consider Lily to be such a wonderfully subtle actress yes it was weird to see her be so over the top yeah it felt a little big and I don't I don't think that's her fault I think that's probably a direction choice because any other time actually for the rest of this episode she's beautifully subtle and nuanced so I 100% don't think it was her. I think it was direction. Uh, direction. Um, but yeah, <laughs> awkward looking over the shoulder. It was just, it was just funny. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that scene was a little weird. Um, I even commented on Betty's acting um, or Lily's acting as Betty throughout this whole episode. Like the heartache that she goes through this episode, oh. especially like when she's talking to Archie about breaking up with Jughead. Yeah. So real and raw. Yeah. I One of my notes is just, poor Betty. Like, that's it. I just was like, poor Betty. It's so, so hard to watch her, like, go through this. And it's hard, too, to see her be cruel to people who she loves. Because you know, and I mean, we know it, I feel like, because of circumstances in our lives, better than maybe most. But the people you love most, your family or your close friends, know how to hurt you. And so Betty knows exactly what to say to these people to save them and also to hurt them. You know, to save them from the Black Hood, but to keep them away from her. Yeah. That's rough. And it just, yeah, it absolutely just tears, tears my heart apart, like watching her suffer like this. But then also at the same time, I'm like, Damn, she's good. Yeah. Yeah. Very believable, our Betty. Very much so. Um, And it's interesting because my next note is actually a comment on Hal's acting. But that's more more of like an ingest kind of comment. Like we were talking about, you know, does he as the actor 
know that he's the Black Hood or not. Because if he knows, he's doing a damn good job of covering it up. Yeah, totally. That's true. If he did know the whole time, then... And they told him, don't act like you know at all. We don't want to see any sort of look or tone or whatever. Because there's no evidence of it other than, like, really weird niche things that I caught on to just because of his body type, for the most part. Yeah. Um, but for the what's, like, actually in the script and what we see from that, there's really no evidence that it's how. No. Except for his connection to Betty. And his body type. Yeah, totally, totally agree. For my next note, I was just noticing how active the serpents were in this, uh, in these sort of episodes and in the first season too, but definitely in the beginning of the second. As to what we know them to be in the third season, they're so much, so much more in the background. It's also probably because they kind of split up and whatnot, but so active, so independent, uh, and actually like kind of a real gang, you know? back in these episodes and it's weird to see i don't necessarily miss it but it's just different i definitely don't miss it i hate these episodes where you know jughead's initiated and and you know there's this hate between the serpents and archie as a north sider i hate it i love now the fact that that's all over and it's all kind of you know they're like love and adored kind of thing um, one thing I will say is I feel like it was kind of easy for Jughead to join the Serpents. I don't feel like that was a very hard challenge to get in. Yeah, no, and I don't know if it's meant to be. I, I, I feel like, because gangs want, as far as I know, uh, and I don't know too much about gangs, but, um, <laughs> want people to join them. Like, the point of a gang is to have a large group of people. Like, not a large group of people, but to have a big group of people. And the, especially when they feel like they are combative against, you know, the north side of town, they want to have more power than them. And the best way to do that is to grow your numbers. Right. Um, so I don't necessarily know if it's meant to be difficult. Um, I do think not everyone is going to be willing to get you know, the shit kicked out of them. So but also, that would be hard. How dumb was that though? You know? Yeah. You just have to walk through and let everyone kick your ass. Yeah. And then you have to scream some rules back to somebody else in their face and get your spit all over their face. And, and then their spit all over your face. And then they spit all over your face. And then you have to pull out a knife from a snake cage which I'm sorry I hate snakes I used to be very very phobic of them but I felt sorry for that snake when Tony was like oh it's had its venom glands removed so what I'm sorry you've attacked this poor snake taken its venom glands out just so you can scare the shit about out of like potential people potential new serpents that's a dick thing to do (laughs) yeah I don't really know much about snakes and or like why you would devenom them and whatnot but I don't yeah, even know if that's a possibility I don't even know if that's a thing you can do I know you can take I mean, out its um its fangs but I, then they wouldn't bite you right 
I don't know. Weird. I don't know. And I was going to Google it and find out if that was a thing you could do. But because I, and like, I only recently just got over my phobia of snakes. So if I look at snakes a lot, it kind of brings up all those old kind of fears. So I, I'm not in the emotional stability state of mind where I can Google, hey, can we actually take out venom glands from a snake? Because I'm scared of all the pictures that it will bring up. Yeah, that's valid. I mean, you know, I don't know a lot about snakes because I don't choose to know a lot about snakes. So I don't think I have, I don't have a phobia by any means, but like, I, I'd rather just not. <laughs> well, my phobia used to be so bad. If I even saw a picture of a snake, let alone a real one, I would actually throw up. Oh, God. Yeah, it was really, really, really bad. And um, uh, uh, the work that I do now um, actually involves snakes. I don't have to touch them or anything like that, but there are snakes involved in one of the shows that I um, work in. And slowly, slowly... Uh, I just came to terms with my phobia because I had to be around them all the time. And then I was okay. Yeah, maybe I'm a little more phobic than I think I am, but I'm just not interested in snakes. I just feel like life would be better if they had legs because then they would be lizards. No, I don't like, no, I, I don't like lizards. I'd rather, I'd rather a snake than a lizard, but I think, yeah, a non-venomous snake I could be chill with, but I would never seek it out. No, fair enough. Me either. And thank you for listening to our snake podcast. <laughs> oh, God, we always digress about something that has absolutely no <laughs> no way or shape involved in Riverdale or anything. But yeah, welcome to our lives and our weird brains that tell us to talk about things that aren't related to to Riverdale. I think it's relatable, to be fair. Correct. There are going to be other listeners out there who are like, oh my God, girl, I hate snakes. I get it. They're literally yeah. love snakes. Good for you. I wish I could love snakes. I just don't. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's change the topic because otherwise if we talk about it too long, I have to take my feet off the floor because it's this weird phobia thing that I have. <laughs> I feel that. I feel oh God. Uh, one other thing, speaking of things I don't like, I did not like the idea that the old Veronica did drugs back in New York. You know when Nick St. Clair is like, oh, here, do you want a bump? And it's obviously a bump of cocaine they're talking about. I didn't like the fact that he was so willing to offer that to Veronica. Like he just assumed she was going to say yes. I didn't like that idea that that was the kind of person she was before she moved to Riverdale. I mean, it's believable. You know, she talks about pretty early, right? In first season? Yeah, she talks to Ethel and it, and becomes friends with Ethel because she feels bad about, like, this girl almost killing herself because of the bullying or whatever, right? Yeah. Yeah. So she, it's it's been, you know, uh, I can't think of the word. We've known for a bit that she was a drastically different person before. And drugs and stuff are a common part. I mean, it's, you know, there are Jingle Jangle. That's Riverdale's thing. And what whatever was the one before that? Uh, 
was it the Candyman or the Sandman or something like that? Wasn't he dealing something? Oh, no, he was dealing the Jingle Jangle. And that we haven't seen that yet. Oops, spoiler alert. We just got Jingle Jangle in this episode. No, but remember the, um, in, in a coming episode, it's coming up soon. Oh, 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 the, the guy, the guy who's selling it. The guy yes. who's selling it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was yeah. called like this, this, the Candyman or the Sleepman or the Sandman yeah. or something like that. Gotcha, gotcha. No, isn't there another drug? I can't remember. Um, but it doesn't really matter. Um, that's like Riverdale, but regardless. No, I um, think it was just Jingle Jangle. Yeah, I can't remember. No, um, this is what happens but, when we do a rewatch. I know, everything gets so confusing. Um, but drugs are a pretty common part of of uh, of high school experiences, whether you partake or not. Um, which I didn't really in high school. Well, here's, so here's a good example, actually. I'm a great example of this. In, <laughs> um, in my sophomore year of high school, I was close friends with some senior boys, um, and some girls who were my age. So it was girls who were my age, other sophomores, and then a couple of high, of senior guys. And, we would smoke hookah together, and then eventually smoking hookah led to trying pot. And I did drink a little bit with them, and I um, smoked pot with them and stuff like that a little bit. I wasn't very crazy. Um, and we ne- never did anything harder than that. But the next year, since those guys went off to um, to college, and I was starting to be more into the theater scene, much more involved in the theater scene than I was before. Um, my group of friends who I had had, but I wasn't hanging out with as much as the other girls who I hung out with and did like the drugs and the, uh, well, yeah, drugs, um, and, uh, drinking with, um, my theater group was full of Mormons and people who just weren't really interested in doing drugs or anything like that. So I went from, in my early high school experience, you know, doing, you know, more rebellious things to having a totally innocent high school experience and never really drinking again till I was much older and just being much more innocent. And so I can totally actually believe that that happened for Veronica too. It's pretty, um, an, <laughs> an easier transition than you'd think. Yeah. See, I don't know whether it was just the kinds of people that I hung out with when I went to high school and stuff. But likewise, you know, the hardest thing that you found at my high school was weed, which in hindsight, compared to, you know, other drugs that are out there is not that big a deal. Yeah, isn't at all, really. So I think that's why it kind of shocked me to see this high schooler be offered cocaine, which remember, they're only like, you know, 15, 16 as well. So that kind of shocked me and I was like, ooh, I don't like seeing this. But again, you know, I'm 100 years old. Who knows what the kids are in school these days? All I know is in, in my experience, that was never a thing that happened. Um, in fact, I think just drug culture in general is vastly different in the U.S. than it is Australia. And again, I speak ignorantly of that because I have not been back in Australia for quite a number of years. I don't know what the drug seems like there. You know, it could be, it could have totally changed. 
But when I was in high school, if even if you wanted weed, it was kind of very hard to come by. But it- yeah, and that makes sense. Um, and yeah, it wasn't easy, for, at least as far as I knew, to do in high school or drinking or whatever. I mean, drinking not so bad because, you know, some people's parents' liquor closets are more full than others, so it's easier to like skim off some of their stuff or whatever. Totally. Um, but I, what? One, I think that it's not supposed to be a normal or nice thing to see Nick do that. I think that's our first, one of our first signs that Nick is not a good guy and that we shouldn't like him. Um, totally. Also, they went to high school in New York. Imagine going to high school in New York. Yeah. The world is your oyster. You could literally do anything and it is so close to you at all times. It's within grasp. It's not to, and they're really filthy rich. You can do whatever you want. Yeah. Um, so it's more believable for them, but yeah, I definitely think it's, it's meant to be a, oh, I don't like this guy. Well, it, it like really hit home for me. I was like, I don't like the idea of Veronica doing that. I don't like the idea of this guy being so willy nilly and just like freely offering this to her and Archie. I just, everything in my soul just really didn't like that part. And I know it's such a minuscule little thing in the grand scheme of things, but I was like, no, I'm a hundred years old and this is how I was raised. I don't like drugs. <laughs> oh, girl. I just joined this um, Facebook group and you may have seen it and I'm sure some of our listeners have as well. It was advertised on BuzzFeed. It's called Millennials Pretending to be Baby Boomers. And it's basically a whole bunch of millennials posting things as if they were of baby boomer age. Mm. And it is hysterical. But I'm at the point now, I've spent a couple of days on this page kind of like going through and having a laugh where I'm like, oh, wait a minute. That's something that I would say, like something that a millennial has posted that a baby boomer would say, I would say. And I'm like, oh, God, Jess, you're so old. And then I showed it to my husband and my husband didn't find any of it funny, but he's 10 years older than me. So I'm like, oh God, oh God, we're going into that age where we're the old ones now. Yeah, you're definitely an elder millennial. I sure am. (laughs) Well, that's the thing. The year I was born, I'm still considered a millennial, but I'm definitely on the older edge of uh, the older uh, range of that. So, oh God. But the fact that I could relate to some of these things that they were saying pretending to be baby boomers I was like oh Jesus Jess what is in what is in store for you um something that surprised me about this episode uh was that I really enjoyed the out tonight sequence when they were singing the rent song out tonight the Josie and the Pussycats plus Veronica um I miss the Pussycats as well but we don't have to digress about that but I don't remember how I felt about because I just, in general, tend to have issues with a lot of the covers, especially if they're Broadway variety. Um, because I just, just my personal preference. Um, but I actually really enjoyed the Out Tonight sequence in this episode in the rewatch. I thought it was really well edited. And we were talking about the Lollipop song earlier. And I love that at the end of um out tonight there's like maybe a moment of silence and then comes right back in with the lollipop sequence and you're on Jughead's face and then it switches to Betty um 
So I thought the editing of that moment was really nice. What did you think of that sequence? Okay, so first things, I didn't actually realize that that was a Broadway song. Uh, you said it was from Rent? Yeah. Yeah, I vaguely know Rent. Like, I know the story. I know some of the iconic songs, but I never in a million years would have picked that that was a Rent song. Um oh. I, I didn't hate the song. I, I think the editing was very good, like you said, but I did not think that the that Josie and the Pussycats or that song or that performance belonged in that scene. So I actually had a note about it and I was like, these guys are at this bougie event and these tweens are up on the stage singing. I just felt like it had no business being there. Yeah, it's interesting because, um, what's his face? Nick. Nick makes a mention to Josie and the Pussycats after he, like, listens to them sing off camera. And then we come back into that scene earlier on um, where he's like, yeah, you guys got to come to my party tonight. And, like, you'll be the main event or whatever. Um, and so I feel like that's why they're singing. And I agree that it is weird, especially, like, why are we choosing a Broadway staple for this right event thing that I don't really quite understand what it's for um and that's weird for sure but there is something about um and knowing the context of the song like I do I Rent was one of the first other than Wicked one of the first musicals that I really fell in love with um and I remember seeing the movie in theaters (laughs) um oh gosh I'm such an old person now um but the context of the song doesn't necessarily like make sense. It's not a duet. It's a one person singing and it's her own experience or whatever. But there's something about, there was something about the editing of it and the song being about like kind of just being out and about in the dark and the things that can happen at night. And then we're seeing Betty alone in her room crying and we're seeing Jughead, you know, be pummeled and and attacked and like brutalized. And then we're also seeing um, the dark things that can happen to women at night as well when they're taken advantage of and, um, and that happening and wonderfully, which I have another note on, um, you know, women coming to protect one another. Um, But yeah, there was something about that. Maybe it's just how I felt today, but there was something about it that I did enjoy this time around, but I don't necessarily think I did the first time around. So I get where you're coming from. Yeah. It just, I felt like it had sort of no business being there, but yeah. I mean, I had a couple of little qualms with the, that scene as well. I thought it was unusual that Cheryl slammed down her champagne the way she did. I've never seen Cheryl do that. And why does she, you know, And then the second qualm I had was that um, Josie and Veronica see from the stage that something's up with Cheryl and then, you know, they see Nick dragging her off. But this event is full of adults. You know, if Cheryl was tripping over herself and she was all out of it exactly how she was, surely somebody else would have noticed. I mean, not necessarily. There is that bystander effect um, where people, you know, if you're out and about in public or, and it's a really public space where people do tend to just, uh, stick to themselves and, and pass it off as a, 
oh, someone else will take care of her. Oh, she's been dancing with him all night. He knows her. She's just drank too much. Um, or whatever. So it's not impossible, but it is upsetting every time that sort of situation happens. See, I think me being me, if I saw a woman like that, I would say something. And so that's why I think I find it hard that no one else has said anything. And then we get this look between Veronica and Josie of, oh, hang on, there's something up. You know? I mean, I I think you ask anyone... I don't think I have ever met a person who would say, no, I wouldn't help a girl like that, you know, in a room who is being like, who, who is obviously really intoxicated or not, or unwell or whatever, but that shit happens all the time. Like, I don't think, I, I hope I don't know anyone in my life who would say, no, I wouldn't help her. But those same people not saying you would, I'm just saying it's a lot of people think like that. But then when you actually are put in that situation, it's the, it's exactly what Karen and Georgia say, the fuck politeness. We're, yeah. Sometimes people are just too polite being like, oh, well, she knew him and she was dancing with him and I don't really know her. I'm sure she's fine. I'm sure someone else is going to help her. Yeah. You know, like, it sucks, but that's just kind of human, human nature. The politeness thing kicks in, even though in the back of your head, Part of you goes, should I help this person? Oh, no, this doesn't feel right. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. And for anybody that has absolutely no idea who Karen and Georgia are, (laughs) context, they are the hosts of the amazing podcast, My Favorite Murder, which I guess kind of inspired us into the podcast world, didn't it? Definitely. I think so. And I mean, you don't know who Karen and Georgia are. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry for you. Two very unapologetic, powerful women who are just like, say it like it is, you know? And yeah, like Heidi explained, that whole fuck politeness. They're like, fuck it. Don't be polite. Get in there. Be awkward. Be uncomfortable because you might just save somebody's life. Be rude. Like, don't be afraid to be rude, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, which is what happens to you know, which, which, which what (laughs) happens in this situation for everyone else, except the pussycats and Veronica, they go, you know, fuck that and go after her and save her. And that's that cut of them beating the shit out of, I just love women, you know, kicking ass and, and destroying an abuser. That's my fave. Beautiful. (laughs) And quite literally, uh, in that scene, kicking ass. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you see what I did there? Huh? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you got it. Um, this is one of the first episodes, and forgive me if I'm wrong, that we see Betty with the, her low ponytail. I wrote the, I wrote a note that said the entrance of the low ponytail Betty. Yeah. I um I couldn't remember if this was the first time we saw it. I know we've seen her hair in a bun and other things like that before, but I didn't think we'd ever seen her with a low pony. And God, did it come again as such a surprise. I was like, oh, God, that doesn't look right. Yeah, I think it's funny because at the end of it, I'm like, I get used to it. But it was, I forgot that in when it happens, it she starts out this episode with, the high pony because she gets called, you know, she gets the call from the black hood. But after that, she's got the, she's got the low ponytail. It's like, she doesn't even have the energy. She's so upset and she's so low 
that she doesn't even have the energy to pull that pony up high and tight. You know what I mean? Yeah. Even yeah. though it's a longer ponytail to actually do, if you if you are a female and you have done a high ponytail versus a you know a low ponytail, having to part that hair and slick it down and probably put a few few pins in there to get that low ponytail right, that takes a lot more time than just you know slicking it all back and going for the high pony. I know, but we're not supposed to judge. You know, we're not supposed to question the the low pony. <laughs> well, no, it's just a funny, I just think that's funny. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Our poor Betty. I know. God, my heart just broke for her this episode. Truly. No, I agree. It's, she had a rough one. And I felt bad for Archie too. That's a difficult situation to be in. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I guess if my best friend came to me weeping, basically, and said, you have to do this for me, and I just need you to do this for me, and, I, and you know, I need you to break up with your other best friend for me, like, that's such a difficult position to be in. Oh, God. And the fact that Archie does it. Yeah, he does. Oh. And I hate the scene as well where um, Betty and Jughead, Jughead are both at Pops, and they're both just blatantly lying to each other. And there's so much like of a wedge that's between them. And I don't even think they realize. I think they're both so caught up in their own pain and their own struggles that they're going through yeah. that they don't even realize that the other person is suffering as well. Because I think if they did, they would band together more to, to try and figure it out. But oh, they don't. They're absolutely. too caught up in what's going on for themselves to to be able to have that um wherewithal yeah and of course the second the second that betty is out of the picture tony swoops in for a little smooch with jughead which i didn't like (laughs) (laughs) i mean who did like it you know like i'd want to meet that person who shipped tony and jughead and i would judge them thoroughly yes i would too but i mean Tony has started to grow on me. You know how her first entrance, I was like, oh, she's so expositional and it just feels over-directed and overacted. I'm starting to warm up to her in this episode because obviously I know where she's headed and who she's headed there with. Um, but yeah, this episode, I sort of started to warm up to her a little bit. She seems less try-hardy. But I don't like her putting her mitts on Jughead. <laughs> yeah, I. She was fine in this episode. I do think it's the way she paints the serpents to him. And I understand that in the scene, she's trying to warn him and to be the person who's like, you got to make sure you really want this because there's no going back. But the. <laughs> her going once you join, like, we're your family and everything else, you're going to lose all that, but you're still going to have us. And you you have to want to die for us or whatever, because we'll die for you. Right. It's so meaningless from her because we don't know anything about her. Like, is she saying this because that's what happened to her? As far as we know, that's not true. And as far as we know in the future, that's absolutely not true because she was kind of a serpent, like, born into being a serpent. So... 
I don't know where she gets any of those ideas from or why she says that at all, other than a scare tactic and the writing wanting to make this seem like a really intense, scary gang when it's truly not and it doesn't end up being that and they totally change directions with it. It just feels like, I guess, this, the first few episodes of season two are setting up things for Riverdale that just kind of dissipate and disappear. Yeah, I agree. It's kind of this like ride or die kind of um, attitude that that um, Tony has. I nearly yeah. said that, that Tony has. Yeah, it. Well, the good thing is we know it doesn't last very long. But I guess back in the day when we first watched this episode, we didn't. No, and that's not necessarily my issue. I I kind of, I don't really like that it fell off. Like, like we, I don't mind that we don't really have the serpents in the same way as we did before. But it's just like, why did we do this then? What's the point? Yeah. And that's just a kind of a retrospective thought. Because the first time I watched it, it doesn't feel like that. But watching in retrospect, and I would assume for anyone who binges the show now... It doesn't have a payoff at all. No, it doesn't. So, you know, sometimes we don't like things. Yeah, but, you know, also at the same time, um, I feel like Riverdale does a lot of those kinds of things where we're just meant to just go with it and not question it. But I think because you and I do this podcast, we kind of break it down a little bit more and we kind of notice notice those nuances. Sure. And I guess I, I just don't, and I mean, I am an avid TV watcher and I invest myself in the shows that I watch, right. um, regardless of if I'm podcasting about them or not. Like, I have feelings about Jane the Virgin. Oh, my God. But I don't have a podcast for it, so I can't talk about it. But I have them. Um, but I, was say, I can't even help you out because I've never watched an episode. I couldn't even tell you anything about it. And at this point, I don't suggest it anymore. Or if you're ever going to watch Jane the Virgin, don't watch past uh, season four because season five is shit but I won't digress <laughs> here because I'm upset but I I think for myself at least just personally I don't like when a tv show um treats their audience like they're dumb and even though the demographic for Riverdale is teenagers teenagers aren't stupid you can give them interesting plot lines and you can give them things that are set up early on that come to fruition later and have a payoff. I think there's a reason right now why my favorite thing to watch is Critical Role, the D&D um, Twitch show, is because Matt Mercer, who's the DM, and he's the writer and the storyteller of it, sets up all of these beautiful things and intertwines all of these beautiful backstories in a way that is enriching and powerful and he gives you, even though you kind of don't know when things are going to come up because it is a game and it's improv and things come up before they're meant to or after they're meant to or whatever, because it's it's a game and it's all improv and it's all about dice rolls and kind of how things lay out. But he never treats his audience like they're dumb, even though they probably have the widest demographic of audience members out there, kids to full adults to like older people. It's pretty wild. But I just don't like being treated like I'm stupid. And I feel like Riverdale does that. I think it's definitely guilty of it. Definitely. Um, 
I think it's not every episode that I feel no. like that, but I think it it does come and go. I agree. I agree. And mm-hmm. overall, who the I should look up who like produces the show or whatever, like and actually know people because I don't. Um, that is the one thing about TV I don't care about too much. Um, <laughs> but whoever's the showrunner of Riverdale, we're not getting like these full storylines. Even though they pull storylines, like we're going to see season two, and we have seen season two go into season three so much, but it still doesn't have like a payoff in a way that feels super gratifying. I don't know. I don't know, man. You got a lot of feelings this episode, Heidi. I can, I can tell. I got a lot of feelings all the time, my friend. (laughs) (laughs) Touche. I mean, it's not always good, you know, but it is what it is. Oh, you, you don't ever change. I adore you. I've only got a couple of a uh, couple of notes left for this episode. Um, a couple of them are like little throwaway comments that I just noticed. Like, I don't understand why Tony wears headbands so close to her forehead, or the bus sign that Betty sits under is totally adorable. It's totally fake, but super cute. Um, and like, oh, here's one. Why does the Sunnyside Trailer Park sign face Jughead's trailer and not the actual road? Did you see that? No, but I can see it in my like in my mind's eye. Now that you mention it, I'm that I'm like, oh yeah, it totally does do that. That's dumb. Yes, yeah, bit expositional there, but okay, whatever. It's Riverdale. I love you. I'm prepared to give you the benefit of the doubt. Uh, But my very last note on this episode is that I forgot that this is the episode where Alice tears it up. (laughs) Like her walking in, she looks like such a babe. She's so smoking. I love that she's got the serpent everything. Like, yes, there's the serpent necklace. And I think the very first time I watched this, I didn't realize that her outfit is actually snake print. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. I didn't realize that. Yeah, because she first walks in and I was like, oh, God, I remember this. And I was like, oh, yeah, she's got like a a snake necklace. And then as they pan up, I was like, oh, my God, her outfit is snake print. I'm like, this is so fucking perfect. You know, I I love that part, too. And when she walked out like that, too, I was like, ah, yes. Like just one of the most iconic Alice moments and probably just one of the best ones where you're really like cheering for her which is yeah. really fun. We don't get to do that too often with our Alice. Um, but it is, since you were talking about it, like I, it came to me that it's very, um, it's very Taylor Swift. It's very, you call me a snake. Okay. I'll be a snake. Like. <laughs> so is Taylor Swift-esque. <laughs> yes. I just loved it. I was like, yes, bitch, you own your dark past and look phenomenal. And I love that Hell's like, Alice and he, she's like, shut up, Hal. I'm like, yes. Yes. Yeah. But also, like, did she go out and especially buy that outfit? Oh, yeah. Or- she did. Yeah. Because I was going to say, Hal wouldn't have been surprised if it was, like, in their closet, in the bedroom, <laughs> you know? Yeah. No, I don't think she had, because it was also a very, like, trendy piece of clothing. It was, like, a romper with the, like, with the, a like, trend. skating side things. Um, yeah, with a train. Um, so I definitely think it's, it's not so a staple in her, in her wardrobe, but I could definitely see Alice just hate shopping angrily, like 
grabbing all these smooth things and being like, yeah, you want me to be a snake? I'll be a fucking snake. Like, I could do that. And I kind of love that. I did too. I just thought she was so fierce and, you know, they really have taken her character on a journey. And I think they're just kind of like seeing where she ends up. I don't think they have a clear path for her, but I just loved this moment. I just thought it was so great. Yeah, no, it is a, it is a great Alice moment. Iconic, really. Yeah. Well, what, what have you got left since I've uh, zoomed through mine? We got to the bottom of my notes, but we did skip one um, that I had, which is just, I think I kind of like mentioned it, but we didn't really talk about it. Just how creepy it is that her father is calling her in her own house using a fake voice to just creep her out and be so creepy. It's just so creepy. (laughs) So what you're saying is it's creepy? Yeah, like I don't really have, there's not much more nuance than that in this thought. That's really, that's really it. But it's just really fucking gross. Like I realized it, even though I thought that Hal was the Black Hood back in the day, I didn't really realize how creepy this was until now. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, you know, where we are not meant to know this information when we're watching this episode Mm-mm. but yeah watching it in hindsight like literally Betty and Hal have just spoken downstairs and she goes up to her room and then he calls her it's it, it is it's really unsettling once you put two and two together yeah and it's it's funny too I can't help I just want to know where was he did he like sneak into the bathroom and like turn on the running water and then go hey Betty like what is he doing to do this I don't know it's probably an app on a phone who knows I know but like where is he in the house and how is he not like how does Alice not find him does he just like go into the backyard like what is he oh they have a basement don't they yeah he's definitely got a man cave yeah oh ew he is a guy who would have a man cave ew totally and like my husband says when I go out to the garage and I'm like hey honey what are you doing he's like man stuff like I very much see Lachlan Monroe as uh Hal having that moment of going get out Alice I'm doing man stuff yeah I could see that too he's that kind of guy Ugh. I know so creepy <laughs> oh goodness well should we take a look at what Betty would do this episode oh man because it's so heartbreaking. It's so sad. Uh, oh, she would, she would do everything that she can think of to protect the people that she loves, even if it hurts her and it hurts those people. Yeah, that is so spot on. I mean, what else can you add to that? Yeah, she does. She literally hurts the people she cares about the most because she cares about them. Yeah. Because she wants them to be okay. Yeah. Oh, poor Betty. I know. I'm so sad. Me too. It's okay. The next episode's going to be, it's going to be better. She's going to be okay. And we know she is like by the end of it. So that is nice, but it's, it's a rough one, man. Oh, my darling Betty. I just want to hug her. You know, she deserves one too. She does. But alas, it's going to have to wait. (laughs) 
until one of us becomes famous, gets on the show, and then we can hug her. And then we can hug Lily, yeah. Yay! <laughs> all right, everyone. Well, on that note, we'll leave you all to it, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Betty Squared. Bye! Bye.